Hello, Recursive community, and welcome from Athens. Here with me in Attractus is Nikki Karali, the co-founder of Mantis Business Innovation, a company which provides growth strategies, innovation programs, and startup scouting, together with an innovation management software to digitize the whole process. Nikki is also an active startup ecosystem builder. She has helped organizations like Startup Now, the Startup Now Forum, the largest startup event in the country. Nikki, welcome to the Recursive Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Let me throw you a bit back in time. I was very curious, what led you into civil engineering? Why an engineer? This is a bit of a, a typical profession for a woman, right? It is. Yeah? It, it actually is. It used to be. Now it's more like 50-50%, okay. both women and uh, men, so it's not... A, it's not that odd anymore. But uh, what led me to that was um, when, I, when I was a kid, I think I was uh, basically more intense and I was into gym gymnastics as an athlete. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was competing on a, a competitive uh, level. Oh, really? Um, and I think this is the part where as a kid, I learned how to uh, find myself better to uh, create new strategies to f realize how my body works and um, become more persistent um, you know be more competitive more flexible you know be able to go on a place where you you're not able to you just need to be patient and persistent mm. so engineering has all the same uh, requests from a person it's not a, a subject that I really liked uh, when, I, when I joined, but since I, I, I started it, I need, uh, from what I learned, I had to finish. I had to be complete and full of, this, uh, of these studies. And this is how I ended up, up right after that on uh, the startup ecosystem and on businesses on the, on the first part. This is actually quite curious. Uh, what did you imagine that you're going to be when you started civil engineering? But at the I, university. Uh, yeah. The thing is, I, I didn't really know. Uh, mm -hmm. I just chose it because I, I thought it had the most, I could make the most out of it. Like you had so many um, options when you, you were a civil engineer. So this is why I went after it. Mm -hmm. It's not like I was never a visionary, like I want to be a civil engineer and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And uh, I always see things more uh, in, in a short-term basis. So when I see an opportunity, I think I grab it. Mm. And uh, it felt right at the time. Like you have so many things to explore. Um, and this is how I ended up a civil engineer. Yeah, it's kind of weird. The flexibility that you uh, developed already in gymnastics obviously, obviously helped you after that adapt yeah, to... Yeah, flexibility and, and adaptability. Like yes. I think it's you know, mainly one of the most important characteristics that I have. Mm. And this is also a very important requirement if you then pursue a career in entrepreneurship. How did, it, how did that happen? What fascinated you about entrepreneurship and maybe later on the startup ecosystem, which at this mm -hmm. point was probably very in its early stage? Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I was on my senior year as a civil engineer 
and uh, I wasn't happy about my choice, as I explained. So I was uh, looking for other ways to to contribute uh, to the community, to do something more voluntarily, to become part of um, uh, something that would fascinate me, mm. and uh, something perhaps more environmental. And uh, you know, I was seeking seeking to that uh, places as well. So at my senior year, um, I started looking for something more entrepreneurial. And this is how I ended up on a, on a student committee uh, occupying on entrepreneurship. And this is how I met Christos, who is the founder, who is my co-founder co on, um, on Mondays. And uh, he had already done his uh, PhD thesis on uh, the evaluation of startups. And, uh, you know, I was totally aligned with the scope and the vision of what he was doing. Uh, well, we totally changed it in the meantime, but, you know, it was a good start point uh, to get on board in an entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. So basically, yeah, adaptability, flexibility and the curiosity to go on a way where you can offer services, where you can be more helpful. Um, this drove me to entrepreneurship. What is actually the mission of uh, Mantis? What it is? Yes. Um, well, it, it has changed over the years, uh, but what we 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 have uh, finally said it is is like connecting startups to large corporations and public organizations, and we help uh, every organization um, to be able to innovate and become part of the innovation ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's basically on the part of the connection uh, with uh, startups and uh, captivate the innovation and the, the entrepreneurial minds that all startups do, do have. You have a, probably a very good overview of the startup ecosystem at this stage, if you are connecting both worlds mm -hmm. together. Tell me, at, from your perspective, um, what is the state of the, of the startup ecosystem currently in Greece and uh, what would be the most important ingredient to bring it to the next stage where we will be seeing more and more unicorns, where we'll be seeing more and more young people jumping into entrepreneurship? What do you think? Uh, actually, this is I'm going to start from the last point. Mm -hmm. This is the direction that we work for. Uh, we work closely with universities as well to uh, raise this um, this need for uh, new researchers and new people, new ideas uh, to turn into entrepreneurship. So this is uh, like the backbone of uh, Mandis, raising entrepreneurial um, people and ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, on a, on a governmental level, in Greece, we have done so many efforts. Uh, there, there have been ha there have been happening for for some years now, uh, but at this point, these efforts can be even measurable. You can see the results of these efforts. And um, in terms of the government, you know, they have helped. They have uh, they have uh, had a key role on the um, on the success and the development, I'm not going to say success, the development of the startup ecosystem in Greece. 
because they have backed uh, via Equifund and um, the HDBI with mm. some funds to the startup ecosystem. Mm. And uh, now via um, the Elevate Greece initiative that we were in charge of um, in, in the development, uh, they, they backed with another 60 million to startups due to the coronavirus mm -hmm. uh, last year, um, which, is, which was a great help. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to continue with more. There's an, there are more incentives to be given to entrepreneurs and startups in Greece. So I'm going to say we're at a good point, but we have a lot of steps forward. I'm curious about the Elevate initiative, but first of all, you mentioned that uh, you can now measure the progress of the ecosystem. Can you maybe just you know share a couple of numbers that you have been observing which make this progress uh, tangible? Mm -hmm. uh, actually, one of them is the Elevate Greece initiative. It was mm -hmm. a need um, from the government. Like when we started, it was a clear need that we we had to map what's going on in Greece. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't have, we don't, we don't, we didn't even know what startup really is. What's the the, the clear definition of a startup, and uh, what they do? How many of them there are in Greece? Like, are they many? Or there are no? We didn't know. Uh, so that was a clear request from the government. Like we have to map them down. And this is how we came up with, with the Elevate Greece initiative. Mm -hmm. And so about the numbers, we are currently um, numbering like 500 startups, more or less, okay. uh, which are registered in the official registry of startups in Greece. Mm -hmm. And you can find all the information about them, their founders and what they do. Um, like a small startup database, which is covered, which covers the whole uh, region of Greece. Mm. Uh, by the way, because this is a very common problem, you know, not being able to differentiate um, SMEs from, from startups. What makes a startup, like in the Greek definition? Okay, so um, we had this problem in the beginning, uh, but since this is, you know, the algorithms that we have been working with to finalize what the startups really are, uh, we basically have two components to uh, to, to clarify when we're looking for a startup. And uh, as far as the Elevate Greece initiative um, stands for, we search for a part of innovation, and then we search the part of scalability. And that means that, we, that someone uh, markets a product or a service, that it can be global without any parametrization mm -hmm. to any place of the world. Okay. So okay. this is a very important because this is what makes you different from, I don't know, let's say a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. You can be at the same time without any, uh, at the same time, the same product, the same service, without any change to different users. With uh, Vivo Wallet, which uh, just recently became a unicorn, um, how, how would you, why is this an important metric from your point of view? What does it mean for the ecosystem and when do you expect that uh, you would be seeing more and more of them mushrooming from the different parts of, of the country? Um, well, it's a, it's a very important achievement. No, mm. Nobody can say otherwise. And uh, it's not only an important achievement for uh, Viva Wallet itself, it's for, uh, for, for, whole, for the whole of Greece. 
and uh, the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And that is why that is because mainly uh, it's the first time that Greece actually shows that we have the infrastructure and all the tools for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur and start a startup to do so. Um, so apart from all the methodologies and the, the tools that already exist in Greece, we now have the bright examples of uh, Viva Wallet and um, of course others like uh, Instashop or Softomotive, etc., who have done great work and we have these bright examples uh, to be able to you know, vis become visionary about it and chase it, go after it. Mm. So this is what what it gave to the startup ecosystem. Like a good example, something a great which example. inspires them. Something yes. to inspire them, yeah. And do you think Vivo Wallet is an outlier or is it truly also a product of the ecosystem? Because I think this is an important question to, to ask. We will be seeing also every now and then these outliers, but just recently one of our guests or maybe I read it somewhere that a startup is as big as the ecosystem. <laughs> so um, if you have like a, I mean, like a middle class in the ecosystem, you would be having also a very good quality of startups. And maybe not all of them will become unicorns, but overall the impact by accumulating, you know, the success of each of the, of the companies will be greater than if you have just one outlier. So what do you think? Well, I, I don't think it's uh, just an outlier. Mm. Uh, Viva Wallet was in business um, far, far in the past. I, I think they were in business like 15 years ago and they were always pivoting and changing, uh, uh, you know, the, their products and services. It's not like a one-time thing. We did that, it was successful and we go for the next. And um, this is how it shows that you have to be persistent and you need mm. to to share and uh, realize what the market needs at its time because the circumstances change. And for example, even last year with, uh, with uh, COVID, everything was different and uh, all startups and every company at the world had to adjust. So um, I I'm not gonna say it's an outlier and it, it shows the quality of, um, of the entrepreneurial ecosystem as a total mm -hmm. because we, we are, you know, far behind from having uh, multiple unicorns being born at the same time. Uh, but we can go down that way because we have the infrastructure now. Yes. Another aspect that, um, you know, Greece seems to be leading is also in the field of clean energy. Mm -hmm. uh, what would be the most helpful um, in boosting the efforts to develop the energy independence that uh, we all are currently speaking about and uh, that we need in the whole region? Oh, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be a difficult one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, clean energy is uh, a key commodity uh, which can even bring you out to um, a hostage situation like it happened now uh, with the Ukrainian war. Uh, so um, it is crucial to happen, but it's going to be difficult. And uh, clean tech and environmental startups find it 200% uh, more difficult to be successful than other, than other tech startups. Okay. They need more time and they need more money to become successful. 
and um, you know time is is very important because it, it's not the same thing to uh, create a software or rather than creating a, an environmental technology mm-hmm. uh, but it's there and um, e- even we as Mandis ourselves we have started uh, working at this uh, direction and uh, we have created an open call for startups to submit proposals and new ideas on how we can tackle this challenge and this problem and uh, this will happen on a European level as well. Mm-hmm. I see here the cooperation between the different um, stakeholders in the ecosystem, let's say also in your case, corporates, probably also universities and um, startups. Very, It's very important for them to collaborate together and uh, this is not this field where you have this strong competition. It's something that we would all need to look for solutions and we'll be probably needing a variety of solutions so that we can combine them together to transition to a more independent state of energy. Um, do you have some, you know, companies that you're fervently following in the in the field, clean tech, climate tech? In the climate crisis yeah. uh, way. Um, well, it's a it's a junior startup, mm-hmm. uh, but it was one of the the first startups that joined uh, the green tech challenge. And it was this uh, great guy. I really love him. He he came and he he has done all this research in Colombia, and uh, you know he came to Green Tech Challenge and uh, he had all these papers written down. And so he he was trying to explain me everything he had done with his research, which was uh, the bottom line is they captivate um, uh, the, the CO2 emissions and they convert it. Uh, to protein, mm-hmm. this is the, the the bottom line. But the thing is, he he couldn't uh, explain it at the first point. So we worked together, and it was like a highlight because he was the winner of the Green Tech Challenge at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna go with uh, this example. Uh, the the company is called Somaya, yeah. and they've done so so many things ever since. We I totally be, admire them. We will be also following them. Let's see. Your startup, Mantis Business uh, Innovation, is a spin-off of the university, the mm-hmm. National Technical University of Athens, mm-hmm. your Correct. alma mater as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are, <clears throat> tell me, how is this connection between the universities um, and uh, entrepreneurs happening? Did you so receive some kind of support or were you part of some program which was at the university or... Uh, How is this facilitated um, in in a, in a broader scale? Is it facilitated? Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, we are the facilitators. Okay. This is part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, we when when I was telling telling you about uh, the governmental support, uh, they are now willing to provide fifteen million to universities to raise uh, research to entrepreneurship. So this means so many more uh, entrepreneurial courses or even accelerators within the universities. This is the idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in terms of uh, Mandis, what we do is uh, working closely with the universities to provide them all the the necessary tools and uh, methodologies uh, to actually launch an accelerator. We have already done it 
in the National Technical University of Athens. Mm -hmm. And that was the launch of the, the Green Tech Challenge, which is the accelerator uh, of uh, DUA. And we started like uh, four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, we were like only 20, I think, teams in uh, environmental technologies. Uh, but then, uh, you know, it kept coming more and more, more people came, came into the process, uh, more researchers, more people with ideas. Mm -hmm. So um, it's something like it's a newborn child. You start and then more and more have to follow. This is the way it goes. Okay. So this is the way we, we work with uh, researchers, with idea holders, with all innovators within the university. And how do researchers actually fund their own uh, research so um, that it mm -hmm. flows in some kind of, you know, technology transfer? How is actually this technology transfer happening, for instance, uh, at the um, Technical University of Athens? Mm -hmm. Uh, there are many funding pro uh, programs. Uh, basically, they are coming from uh, Europe, like uh, uh, Horizon. Maybe you have mm -hmm. heard of them. Of course, yes. um, and they researchers researchers usually go after these programs. Okay. But I'm I'm not gonna say it's the best way to go because these processes uh, have strict guidelines and ways to go forward, and it's not the be the best option. But that's all that there is right now. Okay. Uh, other than that, we work via the accelerators to, you know, um, create a committee of investors to network all these researchers who are who are uh, partially becoming entrepreneurs now, mm -hmm. and they want to market their research. They just, you know, it's very very. Um, different uh, research and then uh, business, there are two different worlds. It's a totally different mindset and this yeah. is why we need this kind mm -hmm. of uh, programs, okay? In research, uh, you usually have to explain uh, your every statement. You have to you know, write down who you, take it for, who you took it from and uh, you do all of your work basically for the research and for the process and you don't care about the results. Whereas on the entrepreneurship, it's the exact, I'm not going to say exact opposite, but it's quite different because mm -hmm. we care about the process, but we mostly care about the products that we market. So um, researchers, when they are looking to fund themselves, they do have uh, these um, funding pro programs from Europe. But if they, they are in a hurry to find all this uh, to launch all these products, it's not easy. So we, we work in a way to create a network of investors, to collaborate with them, or even connect them with corporations who are able to, go, to invest in them. How do you do that? Via the accelerators. Mm -hmm. uh, this is how it happens. We, we launch them. Okay. Uh, we have um, a, a training period. We mm -hmm. call them bootcamp trainings. We work closely uh, with methodologies like uh, the business model canvas and the value proposition canvas to make sure we validate their ideas. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then we, we usually host uh, pitching competitions where startups, entrepreneurs and researchers present their ideas. And uh, we usually have a committee of, um, of corporates, uh, people from corporates mm -hmm. uh, who are on the energy market, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually connect the winners 
with its uh, industry, the industry, the, the corporation industry, the, the industry partner with a startup. And they, if, they have, if they have them a match, they can run a proof of concept together or they can have a pilot together. Mm -hmm. This is how it works. Okay. And corporations learn more and more to work with the startups or what is the reaction of the... Because I can only guess that the energy sector is very old-fashioned and they have like a different mindset probably. How do they adapt to this startup way of thinking and, and, and doing stuff? I'm not gonna lie, it was uh, quite difficult in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like they, they wouldn't even understand what the accelerator really was about. Um, so there was a period and a time that we had even to train them to understand their needs. Um, but that was a good thing because now after four to five years, we are in, on a good place, I'm gonna say. And we have uh, more and more industries who are uh, willing to become part of this. Like even, um, you know, we in Greece we have a big tradition on tourism. So the tourism industry now seeks uh, more uh, prop tech and more technological solutions as well. Mm -hmm. Which we, we, you know, we have the sun, we have the... Uh, the beach, we have the sea, we, don't, we didn't need anything else. Mm -hmm. So the tourism industry wouldn't look uh, to find technological solutions, but now they do. Okay. Um, well, technology transfer and obviously also education has been somehow the broken link uh, in the whole Southeastern European region. So I can only guess that uh, we can look at the best practices and also learn from each other. And in this sense, I wanted to, want to ask you, obviously, when we, you know, just act as separate countries in Southeast Europe, we will be exploring less opportunities, I think, for each and everyone. I think we are coming now to the stage where we will be building a brand which is for, for the whole region. If you have to maybe name a couple of verticals, which will be like, you know, the uh, typical where, you know, the Greek startup ecosystem will probably specialize, what would it be like? What is the trademark of the, of the Greek startup ecosystem? You mentioned once tourism. Obviously, there is also more and more connection and uh, exchange between also the old economy, let's put it like this, and uh, the startup um, the startup businesses. Mm -hmm. What else would be the industry? Of course, I'm going to go with the green tech industry. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, since we, we talked before about uh, the energy independence that needs to happen, yeah. uh, we are definitely going this way. And uh, since we talked about numbers, I told you we started with uh, 20 uh, teams on the green tech challenge of uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. But in 2021, we were even like 200 of them. Mm -hmm. So it was 10 times more. And there's a raise of uh, interest regarding the, envir the environmental aspect. So the second industry should be that. It will, I, I think it's the first, not the second. Mm -hmm. Then it would be the tourism, uh, I think. And, um, you know, the rest of it, is mostly technologies in software and uh, crypto 
that will come within the next years. Mm. We, we're a little behind <laughs> on that, but I think we're going to go this way with all the cryptocurrencies and, um, uh, and the blockchain technologies. Mm -hmm. You probably also have a good feeling of where um, the next generation of entrepreneurs is uh, going to go because you're part of the university structure. So I, probably you have also a good feeling of the students. What is that that, it is, that is fascinating to them? I know that for the young generation, especially Gen Z, they really much uh, they really would like you know to explore a career in, in entrepreneurship, which was I would say maybe a bit untypical for someone who was in my generation of millennials of the Gen Ys. It was. I think uh, it still kind of is. In a way, there's a, a stereotype, mm -hmm. um, mostly from parents uh, who usually advise um, their kids that the entrepreneurial career, it's not the best part to go. Mm -hmm. It's not the best path. And, um, you know, mainly in Greece, we, I think we, we have this, um, this way of... The, condemning uh, entrepreneurs like if, if there's a severe businessman uh, people in Greece would go like uh, okay they only care about their profits but it's not that way because a, be a, a suitable and a sustainable business always uh, has um, you know goes in a way that raises living standards okay. but not all of them realize that so um, uh, the new generations are really into starting new entrepreneurial uh, activities. Uh, but I think we have a long way to go because what we've learned from our parents, it's like it's easier to become part of uh, an already existing structure. Mm. It's more stable, it's more steady, it's easier uh, rather than being uh, an entrepreneur on your own. Mm. Uh, definitely. So we need to educate them as well. Yes. And this will happen in the universities. And also the other aspect that we are now pretty much going into this collaborative uh, way of doing stuff. Um, so you don't have the big CEO who is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, pulling down his uh, decisions or her decisions uh, in a very authoritative way. But uh, this is what I really like about the startup ecosystem is that it's more about collaboration and, and cooperating together and uh, specializing on what you're really good at, going for, you know, shooting for the moon to be really the best at what you do on a global level and rather help others and give back also to the younger generations. In this sense, um, tell me, so Christos was uh, uh, the ideologies behind uh, Mantis, you joined at a bit later stage. How is your relationship now developing? What did you learn about having a business partner and running a business together in the yeah, meanwhile? Uh, well, it's hard. It's not easy. Um, because both of us, we are kind of uh, stubborn and uh, like hard personalities. Uh, we disagree a lot and uh, we, we, we become confrontational with each other in, many times. But the thing is, we, we have um, uh, mainly the same uh, vision, the same uh, goals. So we work together for what's best. So at the end of every discussion, uh, we always have uh, 
joined a leadership style which is more collaborative and uh, we make sure that all team members are on board on uh, what we are looking to mm -hmm. uh, implement and what we are looking to, uh, to address. Um, so having a business partner, partner who you know he, he's going to be there or she's going to be there for you at any point and uh, fill in the gaps or become complementary to you because uh, you know which one of us has different characteristics mm -hmm. and um, different uh, aspects we're good at. Uh, so it's very important that we are complementary to each other and how we, we work forward uh, to succeed. Mm. <clears throat> I think this is a, a very important aspect when you do business together. So somehow we always subtly tend to go after our bias to look for, you know, to prefer people who are like us, who would be, you know, that we would agree with or they would, would agree with us. Mm -hmm. And in business it's totally op the opposite. Uh, I think being different and uh, having a, a co-leadership team of people who are um, bringing different types of characteristics and mentality but still unified by a common vision and probably also values mm -hmm. is very important. Tell me about values. Um, so you started as a, a competitive gymnast in, in the beginning and then you went for civil engineering and now you are in the business of innovation and probably also teaching a lot to startups of how to um, construct and uh, develop their entrepreneurial thinking. Which would be the most important values to you in your, in your business life? Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, the most important for me and what I obtained via the gymnastics and uh, the engineering background. The most important is going to be uh, persistence, um, discipline. Uh, you get very much disciplined, always be on schedule. Uh, teamwork, even though I said it first, I think mm -hmm. it's going to be the first one. It was very important to me even on my very beginning, even on my school years. Uh, and um, it, it comes with me to all the, all the way in all the years. It's very important for me to, to be part of a team, to contribute to them, to lead them, to make sure that everyone is on board and happy with, um, with the, the decisions that are being made. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, teamwork and the collaborative spirit is number one for the values. And um, it's, it's very important to, to have embraced uh, diversity, mm -hmm. uh, the, the inclusion part where you, you actually include everyone uh, with different ideas and different thoughts and uh, different mentalities to actually work for the same vision. This is the hard part. And uh, the most important, because you asked me about the business partner, if, and if you have disagreements, it's the trust behind every, everything, mm -hmm. the, the, the thing that you have someone to back you up. Did you have situations where you would disagree on a decision, but you still commit that you're going to follow it and uh, see, okay, maybe this is the, the, I don't know, the right one, let's experiment and let's see. 
Have you had this kind of situation? Uh, yes, that's mainly how it works because um, I respect uh, very much the hierarchy. So uh, the roles that we have separated within uh, uh, the, the company uh, is uh, Christos is the CEO, the CEO, so he has the final saying. Mm -hmm. uh, so of course we're going to discuss if I have a, a different um, opinion, but the final say, saying is his. Okay. So this is the way we, we go forward. Okay. Do you believe that entrepreneurs have a bigger role to play in the society? And maybe here it's also appropriate to ask you, what makes an entrepreneur? Is it a, a title in the CV or does it mean something more? It's definitely not a title. <laughs> definitely not. Um, well, Yes, I'm sure that entrepreneurs, they have the most, um, you know, combined minds to solve them, uh, the new challenges that we face in the world. So if you, you back up a place with entrepreneurial minds to think over a, a problem, they will probably find the solution. Uh, that's uh, the one part. And you don't, you don't have to be... Uh, a good scientist or you don't have to be a good inventor to become a good entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur. Um, but you really need to have someone on your team who has uh, been into research, who has gone to this path uh, in order to understand this process as well while uh, marketing uh, new products when launching new products. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's important to have this component on your on your team and um, so yes uh, the entrepreneurs they're not being made by by titles uh, they're being made by they're characterized by their decisions I think mm -hmm. and uh, how they're going to contribute to the economy and uh, in different ways to solve uh, challenges and and this is the way to to go forward for them don't you think that uh, entrepreneurs are in a way problem solvers? So I would say that I think each of us can be an entrepreneur. It doesn't have to be your professional capacity, but it could be also your mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, Mainly. And this, Mainly. this problem solving mindset. Um, do you, how do you think we can spread this kind of thinking to a broader um, part of the society? Mm -hmm. I think this will happen again uh, via universities with more entrepreneurial and um, courses, with more workshops mm -hmm. uh, within people, um, making them realize that a failure is not a bad thing, for example, that you need to try even if you, if you think you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, this is not the, the failure part, but we need to give people understand this. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a kid, I, I had very much trouble in, um, you know, failing. I think everyone, everyone had it. But like, I remember when I, I stopped on gymnastics, that was uh, because I was, um, you know, I had done the ultimate Phase that my, my, my body couldn't handle it anymore and I was pressing myself and uh, then I couldn't even walk at some point. Mm -hmm. So this is how when I, when I stopped and um, 
then I went to another, I started swimming and uh, I went to a competition when I was actually fourth and I, I couldn't handle being the fourth person. So we, we need to educate uh, people and even from younger times, like very, very young people from ages two, three and above, um, coming into sports, uh, realizing that failure is not a problem and they need to, to go. How did you hack it for yourself, actually? Because you mentioned you were fourth and it was hard for you. Mm -hmm. How did you swimming. manage it? I skipped it. So at some point you, you gave up swimming because yeah, you weren't like good it. enough? Yeah, okay. I didn't like it in the first place because I only went to swimming because of the problem with the gymnastics. Mm -hmm. uh, gymnastics was my forever and one love. And, uh, but I, could, I couldn't handle it. Yeah, I skipped mm. it, I stopped it right after. And how is it now for you as an entrepreneur where potentially failure is in every decision that you take? <laughs> uh, I think within the years I have embraced, uh, you know, I have this embraced this feeling. Mm. And uh, I've realized that we, I shouldn't feel that, that way. It's not a failure, it's part of education and it's a part of uh, self-improvement and uh, being, be being better. Mm. Um, so thinking of that, you, you do realize it's not really a failure and you realize how to start over and overcome all these obstacles. So failure is just, you know, a, a it's label. It's a mindset. It, it's yeah. just a label that someone, you know, gives at some point, but it's actually part of the growth process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I okay. think. And okay. it's a state of mind, of course, because if you see it as a failure, then mm -hmm. it is. If you don't and you see it as a self-improvement, then it's not. Mm -hmm. That's actually yeah, a very important shift. I totally agree with you. I also started at some point looking at it like that. <laughs> and I was also grateful for all the lessons that I actually had the chance to learn. And it usually happened in the, in the worst times. <laughs> of course, now looking at back, um, it uh, gives me a different perspective. And I also sometimes now do an experiment with me whenever I feel totally out of me or desperate or... I don't know, fearful, I try to mentally put myself into the mind of a 90-year-old Irina, let's say, mm -hmm. um, and ask her, and what would you think about the situation which is happening now? And then you see that on the bigger scale of things, so little of them actually matter. And there are you know, certain aspects that really deserve your focus but the others are just a distraction somewhere on the way but it's hard yes. it's hard it's hard to, to to go this way mentally i think uh, we're very much caught up in, in in situations which over time we look with different eyes but it's an interesting experiment <laughs> yeah it is but we are you know the the toughest opponents of ourselves mm -hmm. we we are making the obstacles to ourselves and as soon as we realize that then you can do wh whatever it is you're meant to do true can i also ask you to make an experiment uh, let's say you would be able to speak to a 90 year old or i don't know 100 year old nikki what do you think she would be most happy with in this life? Or what would you like her to be most happy with? 
in your life to see if she looks back. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Um, well, that's deep. Mm. Yeah, that's deep. <laughs> I, I've, ne I've never thought about it. Okay, the thing is, uh, you know, of course, there's the professional part mm. where I, I always, I want my 100 years old Nikki to feel like uh, she has contributed. She didn't just work, she had a job where she was offering and she was contributing to the, to the society by helping and uh, providing to entrepreneurial minds. Uh, so um, that's one part. And uh, I think I'm, I'm on the good direction right now because I have realized it and I'm going this way. And, uh, you know, the other, the other part is uh, mainly, you know, how you want to be as a person. Like, mm -hmm. you, you don't want to end up a city person because you, you had all this uh, great work and business and you were successful, you made a lot of money, you became a unicorn. You don't want to lose yourself at the, in the meantime. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, I need her to preserve all the characteristics that makes her, you know, a good person, a good, uh, a good partner, a good, uh, uh, a good friend, uh, a, a good person in total. Hmm. A good person. So th this would be the, you know, the, the best mix. And how do you, would you like her to be remembered? As a good person and uh, someone who contributed to society? How, to, how I want her to be remembered? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I you know sometimes we have we have all these uh, stories about uh, you know great people like uh, I don't know Steve Jobs who were very difficult and very hard and they <laughs> made people miserable. No, I don't want to be that person. So <laughs> it's actually weird that after everything that he created, I think this is the one thing that, that everyone remembers. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Isn't it, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. So I don't want that. I, I want okay. I want a mix. Yeah, <laughs> I want a mix. <laughs> oh, Nikki, thank you. Thank you so much for thank this honest so conversation. Much. In the next episode of the Recursive Podcast, we welcome Jordan Stoev. He is the head of crypto and trading, Skrill and Netella at Paysafe Group. So part of part of this is actually to realize that you can never be uh, exactly at the top of your game. Okay. So that and sort of that realization and that humbleness allows you to kind of strive for it, right? Because people that you know think they're on top of their game, they don't usually you know, last that very long. So you have to be ambitious, you have to stay curious, and you have to be humble enough and flexible enough to understand that sometimes you can also make a mistake. Admit it and move on, right? Mm -hmm. That's very important in, in investing, I think in my professional career as well, and in crypto as well, right? Sometimes you make mistakes, you misjudge something, move on, right? Uh, accept it, be flexible, right? Because the world we live in, and in crypto specifically, there's so many things going on, so much innovation. There's no way to stay on top of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but you need to strive to know as much as, as possible. And you need to be, again, flexible enough to understand when you're wrong. And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.